Wine Trady Podcast. I'm Jamie Usher. Welcome back. So in this episode, I was fortunate to have on Tash Adamovich, who I feel is an expert on attachment styles and attachment theory. Now she might she might not say that, but I definitely say that. Uh, and it was a really awesome chat to have uh, about attachment styles as it informs, um, I guess, how we treat ourselves and how we let other people treat us, um, I guess, which has been influenced by how we were treated um, as, as children and uh, the kind of attachment that we had with our parents and caregivers. It's fascinating stuff. I love it. Uh, just one little side note. Please ignore the fact that I kept saying the wrong word um, a few times where my brother who edits this made me aware that I kept saying resonate when I should have been saying resonate. Please ignore that and enjoy what I feel is a bloody good episode. Tash, it's great to have you on. On this episode, I've got uh, Tash Tash Adamovich. I think I've got that right. Yes, you did. Thank you. Now, um, <laughs> I, I saw, um, I've seen Tash on um, on social media and she puts up some fantastic videos with some really good explanations of things that I quite like to discuss. Um, and one of them that I, that I saw the other day really got my attention. But before we get into that, Tash, can you please just um, introduce yourself, I guess, to the, to the listeners um, and maybe give, it, give, me, uh, give us a little bit of an explanation of what you do? And thank you for having me on, Jamie. I really appreciate it. Um, so happy, it's nice to meet you as well officially as well over zoom as we do. (laughs) Um, so I'm Tash. Um, I work as a mental health support worker. That's my daytime full-time nine to five job currently. Um, I also do coaching as well. So, um, that's kind of like, kind of like counseling in a way. Um, uh, it's more, um, independent work, um, kind of building that at the moment. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I do with myself at the moment. And I have a podcast as well. Um, the committee podcast. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I, how I occupy my time at the moment. Okay, great. Um, well, yeah. So as I, as I said, I've, you've seen, I've seen you do a lot of videos and you, you're very good at doing this you're very good at doing it. like and the, the amount of oh, time you did you. you're very like i'm like oh fine, like 40 minutes how do you speak for that long on i think it's too long to be honest i'm like oh my god i've spoken for way too long like i just i go on tangents like i just like i'll go into one thing and then i'll go into another and it doesn't make any sense what i'm talking about and it's well, just yeah, yeah it's really bad i i, I, like, <laughs> I did I, I did my first live the other day and it was uh like 20 minutes and i'm like Anyway, so uh, yeah, very envious of how well you do them, but I guess I'll get I'll get better as we go. But that yeah, so that leads into um, one of the videos that I saw you talk about, and I and I'm I'm convinced that you're an expert on this. So I don't want to put you under any pressure, but oh. I, I think you're an expert on this. <laughs> All the pressure. <laughs> All the pressure. <laughs> um, but you had me interested, very interested. I watched the whole video. Actually, you know what? That your video is the first one that I've watched like that the whole way through. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but I think it resonated. Yeah, well, because I just—it's rare that I maybe I don't follow enough people. I'm only new to, to doing it, like um, back on on back on social media and following people that are like-minded people. So I'm fairly I'm fairly new to it. But yeah, yours yours is the first. So what I, I guess I should tell the listeners what I, a video that I saw Tash um, on on social media on Instagram. Um, it should, Tash was talking about attachment theory. 
and and she, you were relating it to, I think, um, d- dating kind of yes. things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Can yes. You, uh, what I would really like you to do, if you could, is kind of maybe um, before before we kind of get into the specific, more specifics of what you were talking about with you on your video, but are you able to give the listeners an explanation of what attachment theory is? Please. Yes. So attachment theory was, um, well, John Balby, who was a clinical psychologist, came up with this theory and it is predicated on the first primary source relationship essentially that we establish. And that's obviously between ourselves and our primary caregiver. So whoever they may be, you know, your mom, I mean, if you have you know, both parents, single, whatever it may be, your primary caregiver. And basically what the theory states is how we learn to bond in that time, in that first source relationship, um, determines how we bond in our adult relationships. It could be mm-hmm. romantic, it could be friendship. It doesn't really matter. It's more to do with like how we bond, how we learn to be loved and how we learn to love other people essentially and what that means. So okay. that's kind of like the whole premises of that theory and obviously the styles then that accompany it. So there are four distinct um, attachment styles which he proposes and they're anxious, avoidant, secure and the fourth is there's kind of a lot of i've heard of different um kind of names for the fourth one it can be disorganized or how i refer to it it's a mixture of both anxious and avoidant so it's Mm a yeah that that one's a more a much more disorganized one and that one usually comes from more of a um i guess it could be from more of a if you have more of a violent or you know a little bit more um abusive household so that Mm -hmm. can come up where you have a quite um, disorganized type of attachment, but yeah. those are the four um, predominant t- attachments that are theorized okay. by him. So, so um, listeners of my um, my podcast would kind of get the idea without me necessarily saying it specifically, but get the idea that I'm a I'm a true believer in, um, I guess how much childhood can affect you as an adult obviously like yes. we know, we know this this is this is a fact this is this is a, this is a thing that's been proven time and time again and we, we know and to be honest my i think my um my psychology um uh, how can I explain it? my motivation for psychology and uh, for even when I started to, um, to go to therapy myself was for that kind of stuff and so my love for doing it with other people is built around that kind of stuff it's probably something that I'm gonna really enjoy working with people around mm. um, and yeah so also in this podcast my podcast is focuses on that kind of stuff a lot um, this trauma that can happen uh, in, in any time of life but I think what I what I quite like to talk about is the one that happened in say childhood and adolescence, um, because I guess that's what I experienced in some way, and that's what I'm good at talking about. And that's to be honest, that's what I've I'm, that's what I've worked through. That's what I that's what I know, and and I guess that's why I love the subject of what you're talking about. Um, and I also think that a lot of people probably unaware that a lot of the things that happened in their childhood from 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 infancy all the way through to say i don't know yeah so maybe adolescence to say their teenage years um the, the things that happened then really impact them and that's so how they're feeling now could or could could be heavily influenced by by their memories of those days um their thought patterns could have been um uh, uh, i guess created from things that happened back then whether it's what how, how people um believed in them how much they loved them how much attention they gave to them and all that kind of stuff but um from what you're talking about is also like what kind of 
I guess, yeah, what kind of attention and, and yeah, similarly, what kind of attention and love you, the primary caregiver gave. Um, and, yeah, there's a there's theory behind it. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're an awesome person to talk about that kind of stuff. So what? how can we – what do you think would be the best way to say um, – talk about this? I think maybe – do you think going through each one of those so there's I know there's four so what do you think what would be let's talk about the first one then that you spoke about what was the first one again um so the first one is um anxious attachment Mm -hmm. so that one is something that I kind of resonate with um so it's that one is if you had a um, caregiver who is quite inconsistent with their um, affection or their attention towards you. So that means sometimes, you know, sometimes they showed you affection, sometimes they didn't, but a big component of it is, it was a behavior that you did. So for some, it's kind of similar to, I'm sure you're aware of Pavlov's theory, like the salivating dog, you know, it's kind of like that. It's, um, you know, you maybe the best way, the way I like to describe it is if you can imagine a little child drawing a picture, they go show their parents, the parents say, no, go away. I don't want to, and it's nothing to do with them. Parents might be, you know, they have their own stuff, but the child obviously does not understand. They can't understand that, that it's not because at that age, um, you know, they say we form most of our beliefs about ourselves by the age of five, which okay. is crazy because like, yeah, because we, we can't like that's when I learned about that, I was like, wow, that's incredible because I can't even remember what I was doing. I mean, can you remember what you were doing at four years old? Like, oh, yeah. well, that, that, yeah, so that brings up a really interesting point. So I, I know the kind of things that were happening at that time, which gives me yeah. probably a good indicator of the kind of way that I wasn't given, um, not, you know, there was a lack of lack of attention, probably probably lack of love from some people around, step parents and that kind of stuff, and also parents that had their own things going on. So that 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 kind of gives me a good indicator of, although I don't know specifically, but I know there was something going on. And if the, in that critical stage from say infancy to five years old, there was definitely something for me happening in that time. And uh, there's obviously people for listening to this. There might have been things happening for that in that, that time as well and the fact is we don't know we don't have that kind of memory we don't know so there could easily be short tra- trauma yeah. there 100 percent, 100 percent. and like i said um because at that time we're very egocentric we can't the, the biggest component when when we are at that age is that we can't distinguish from the self and from others so if we be, if it's happening to us we believe it's because of us uh-huh. and so that's how we form these kind of then um wounds around attachment so mm-hmm. going back to that um the anxious attachment mm-hmm. um as i was saying you know if you picture a child drawing a picture and they go show the parents and they shun them but then the next time they draw a picture and the parents go oh i love it and so the the child then doesn't doesn't understand okay what do i have to do then to get your love or almost like in that in an anxious attachment we learn that love is conditional so mm-hmm. a certain behavior has to be done in order to obtain it therefore in adult relationships you might be you know you might chase people you mm-hmm. might um seek constant reassurance because you don't understand you feel like you have to perform essentially to get yeah. someone's attention or love mm-hmm. and that's how you bond to somebody as well essentially so that yeah. you know you have to chase them to get to get it I think when I when I um, yeah. when I saw you explain that one and that one resonated to me so well, that's what made me watch the rest of the video. Oh really? <laughs> because you just yeah. explained it so well, but and and also oh, yeah, res- resonated with me. So yeah, it's it's, it's really good. I, I I think the reason why I love talking with like I've, I've had meditation people on and um and other guests I've interviewed so far with episodes that haven't come out, but I just like talking about things that interest me. 
And this one interests me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it, it definitely interests me because I think it just, it just makes so much sense. Like it just, it, it just makes sense. Like if we have dysfunctional ways of bonding as adults and you have to look back to where it began and where it began was in childhood, that's where we first learned how to bond to somebody. That's yeah. where we first learned, you know, I think like I, I said this in my video, but this is where we learned what it means. If you're a woman, this is, this is the first place you learn what it means to be loved by a man. Uh -huh. if, you're, if you're a boy, it's the first place you learn what it means to be loved by a woman. And that's very yeah. crucial. That's, you know, if your if your father was avoidant, mm -hmm. you know, you learned that it was unsafe to be loved by a man, essentially. You mm -hmm. know, and so you, you go into your adult relationships and you might be closed off. And if a man wants to care for you, wants to show you affection, you mm -hmm. find that very unsafe and you find that dangerous because that's not what you learned love was. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it's healthy, mm -hmm. that's the thing, our mind doesn't really register what's negative and positive per mm. se it only registers what's familiar and what is safe and i'm sure you know about this of, yeah. you know the survival mechanism in our body you know mm. it learns off of that and that's how we that's how our bonds are formed as well essentially it, it forms off of what is safe and if what if is if it is learned that inconsistency is safe it will mimic that in adult relationships essentially yeah. and that's the same when it goes for the other four as well yeah Okay, before before we go into the next one, the other thing that I really enjoy about this is not just for people that may have experienced some kind of, I guess, lack of a better word, trauma in some way, or or whether they're aware of how how they were treated or loved. It really gives a great indicator for people that have kids now. So I've got a six year old yes. daughter now. I've got a six year old daughter, and it it it, it um, just reminds me all the time what kind of an impact I am having in every little thing that I do with her. Yes. And it's just another good reminder of like, if, like even just coming home every day, no matter what kind of day that I have had, she's going to get my full attention. Like no matter what kind of day I have, like, like I haven't seen her in five years. That's the kind of, you know, that just, we yeah. run, run to each other, she runs to me and I hug it. Like that's, that's the kind of thing. Yes. That's, you know, so a good reminder of that kind of stuff because everything you do as a parent, especially in those first five years is a, is a, is a um, can have a big impact. Anyway. What's what's Absolutely. the what's the next one? They're not necessarily in any particular order, but what what is the next one? Um, the next one I would say is the avoidant style. So what I was saying before, if you have parents that were just emotionally not, and this is the thing, a lot of times we say like you know physically there, but emotional abandonment is very real. Also, a parent could be physically there, provide you with all you know like food and clothing and all those all those things, the physical necessities, but they can also abandon you emotionally, and that can that has a detriment, very detrimental effect mm -hmm. on um on children. Cause like you like they absorb everything. We're, we're quite, we say kids, you know, they don't know. They do know they they know a lot. They mm -hmm. absorb everything. They haven't formed those rational parts of the brain yet in order to understand that it's not about them. Mm -hmm. It's so important. It's like, what, I just want to touch on what you said before, but you know, don't underestimate the power of such a, what you believe to be such a passive behavior of not acknowledging, mm -hmm. you know, the child in that moment. Mm. It leaves a mark. It really, really does. And I think it's great what you just said that you you do that, you know, and that's that's how you break that generational trauma, as they say, yeah. you know, that's how you change that cycle. And that's yeah. really, really great. And I really want to commend you for that because, you know, that a lot of, it takes a lot of um, awareness to do that, you know, and that's really, really great. Um, but yes, yeah, so the avoidant one is, um, you know, if your parents were not there for you emotionally, um, and you essentially learned that love was unsafe. So you just you just learn to cope to be without it, and most of the time, people who are avoidant are very um, well. They're classified to be quite independent, but they're also quite scared, quite fearful as well. Because you know, if anyone wants to show them something, mm -hmm. um, you know, it triggers that insecurity within them, or triggers that wound of you know, because they essentially learned that I was not enough to be loved because I didn't receive any of it. 
So when someone comes to love them, that's terrifying mm-hmm. because they, they we go, well, hang on. I don't, this is not how I, this is not how we bond. We don't bond through you giving me love. Like bo- love is unsafe essentially. So an avoidant type views love as very, very unsafe and also undeserving of receiving that love. So that's mm-hmm. kind of that kind of, um, I guess that's what kind of like, you know, we, we hear terms like ghosting and all those things. I, you know, people who do those kind of behaviors would mm-hmm. be more of that avoidant side, you know, because they're just, it's such a fear to, for someone to see them essentially. It's just mm-hmm. that fear of like, if you see me, you will see my not enoughness. Yeah. And that mimics that wound that we form that they formed as a child mm-hmm. through an avoidant parent. Um, and then the third one is a secure attachment. Um, and I also want to say like these attachments are not set in stone. I don't believe that you're set in one way you can heal and you, they become inter- interchangeable. Mm-hmm. For example, secure attachment is, you know, if you had consistent, you know, love, affection, you know, every, like pretty much like you, you just felt secure. So if your parent wasn't there, you knew they were there for you still emotionally and physically, you know, mm-hmm. and that then, you know, they're classified as more confident, you know, secure within themselves. They can be on their own. They don't like seek out, you know, um, you know, partners as a means of, you know, to fill that those wounds or heal those wounds, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they are very inter- interchangeable. You know, mm-hmm. I think you can go, uh, I, I believe, I don't know how accurate this is, but I do believe that you can form those attachment wounds mm-hmm in also your first romantic relationships, I believe, because if you're, if you've never, you can grow up as a secure attachment by theory as a secure attachment, but Mm -hmm. then, you know, I I do believe romantic is very different to a paternal relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. that intimacy comes into play and you can't, you don't experience that, you know, as with your parents with a paternal relationship. So I think that can then alter, you know, how, what your first romantic relationship was, mm-hmm. if you had a dysfunctional one, I think that can alter your attachment style later on. And you can use that as a blueprint mm. um, as to what it means to be in a romantic relationship or what you, what, what wound is formed or what your there's a term where we say that it activates your attachment wound. It activates okay. that. And then you want to heal that, mm. um, that wound that was formed in childhood. Mm. So you, you seek, yeah. you seek to heal that wound. You think? Yes, 100%. There's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with John Bradshaw. Have you heard of him? He was a, um, mm. he's really good. So if you're, I would 100% recommend, um, he has really great, he, he pioneered, like, I'm sure, have you heard of like inner child work and all those kind of. Yeah, yeah, I've heard um, of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he pretty much, he pioneered a lot of those movements and he has a great book called Homecoming, um, Healing the Shame That Binds You. And he, he's excellent at explaining this and he explains so so well Mm -hmm. essentially when we form a wound in childhood we will seek out to um to heal that bond that was broken Mm -hmm. to heal that first source relationship we will try and seek it out in our romantic partners to heal what was broken there Mm -hmm. but the thing is we never heal it because a romantic partner we say partner because they're meant to be equal to us yeah. parent figure in a way is not you know that it, it, it was only their responsibility yeah. to give us what we needed it doesn't fall on anyone else but we continue we subconsciously seek out those relationships that mimic our first source relationship where that where that wound was formed mm-hmm. to heal it it's like i'm going to finally get that love i'm going to prove myself to my mom or my dad mm-hmm. essentially and we don't even realize that we're doing it but that's <laughs> essentially what is happening you know yeah, yeah. Um, mm. and what I, I totally agree with what you said before, or all of what you said, but something really resonates is, uh, that they're not set in stone. 
Now, um, this podcast, I, I won't go into, into like I've spoken about my childhood in other episodes, but I won't, so I won't go into specifically what they are here. But the two, the, so far, the two of what you've mentioned, I think anxious, what was the, what was the first two again? There was anxious and... Anxious and avoidant. Avoidant. So probably, uh, there's a mixture of those. Um, and and what I what I um, what I think they're useful for rather rather than um, I'm sorry what what I think it's useful to know is say like that they're not set in stone but what what you could do by say speaking to someone like yourself that knows them really well or speaking to a therapist or a psychologist that knows them really well is that, that you you could tell your your story of what might have things that might have happened in children give give examples and they. They can give, um, they can then feed that back to you about, okay, so this is probably what kind of a parent you might have been or parents you might have been or your caregivers might have been and then um, how that may have actually affected you. So you, they don't need to say, oh, this is what you are or this is what they were. It's like that it just gives a good indicator of how things might have been and how possibly you, you know, could possibly treat it and work with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Like, and a, a lot of the times the way we heal, so for example, an anxious attachment, because if, um, with that attachment style, we tend to, um, like we need a lot of reassurance, essentially. We need a lot, a lot of reassurance because we didn't get that as kids. And we need like, oh, is it not my fault? Is it okay? Like, um, you know, are you upset with me? It's pretty much like it's all on us. Like we think it's all, it's entirely our fault as to why our parents aren't giving us love. Mm-hmm. And obviously on an intellectual level, if that's not true, but on a childlike mind, we don't understand that. And the way we actually heal an anxious attachment is through forming bonds with secure attachment styles. So people who um, are able to give us that reassurance, we they can help others can help us heal those attachments. And that's really crucial. Like um, one thing that I really like to, like that I kind of um, emphasize is, you know, we hear a lot of talk about you. You don't need someone. You don't need someone to complete you. Yes, you don't need someone to complete you. You're not going to die if you don't have someone in your life. But we as human beings need a connection. We're actually, we're hardwired for that. We're biologically wired for a connection. We need it for our health, essentially. Yeah, I guess so, that's part of our survival and, and continuing exactly. on next generation. So, yeah, absolutely, we, need, we do need that. Yeah. Exactly. Our two primary needs as human beings is we need to be seen and we need to be heard. Mm-hmm. And when that is, when that need is not met or when it's broken when it's dysfunctional um that causes a lot of you know a lot of wounding and and also if we didn't need anyone we wouldn't form these wounds to begin with we wouldn't form these these wounds that are bond like dysfunctional ways of bonding if it didn't mean something to us if it didn't matter to us on a you know mental or physiological level essentially so we need other people and we need to let other people help us heal Mm -hmm. essentially you know we actually do need that so it's really important the only way you heal a relationship or a bonding wound is through a uh, experiential, um, healthy bonding. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, that's the only way and that probably didn't make any sense, but that's how you, you know, you heal, you heal a relationship, um, through a healthy, an unhealthy relationship. You heal through yeah. a healthy relationship. You change essentially the outcome, yeah. um, to what that relationship meant. Yeah. You know, you, you learn that it's safe. It's okay to be loved. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay to receive it. And yeah. you are worthy of it, essentially, at the end of the day. That's kind of like the main premises of it as well. So it could, it could um, a way of thinking like that could be as though someone that may have experienced certain things, say, in this critical stage of development in their childhood, uh, they can't necessarily uh, heal the wound by going to therapy, but they could get support and, and ideas of, and, um, of, of how they could do this. But realistically, a way that they're going to be healing it is by putting themselves out there with, with other yes. people. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Essentially, okay. yeah. And, and, and I also say 
being very clear as to what you want. This may be going a little bit off topic, but like, you know, um, if you are someone that has, so for me, I have a little bit more of an anxious attachment. I do have a lot of avoidance is similar to I have a mixture. I definitely have a mixture, but for me, because I have an anxious attachment more more, like I have anxious tendencies, Mm -hmm. then I, then I know the correct term to use, uh, but I I have ways of protecting myself. Mm -hmm. So, because I know what I, how I can become, I can, you know, get attached too mm-hmm. soon or i can you know if someone's acting distant towards me i have a story behind why that is mm-hmm. you know i it's to do with me you know mm-hmm. I, even though i know on a, on a conscious level it's not subconsciously i think it's to do with me mm-hmm. and so the way i kind of then arm myself with that is i'm very clear as to what i'm looking for so when i'm dating somebody or if i'm meeting someone i get very very clear as to what i'm looking for mm-hmm. so that i'm not wondering or guessing what they're wanting and that really helps me because then it makes me um you know, helps me to stay, I guess, in control and just stay in my pillar of what I want Mm -hmm. and helps me heal my own anxious attachment because I, I place what I want on a pedestal instead of placing what they want on a pedestal, which Mm -hmm. I think is really important. We tend to pedestal people and that can come with an anxious attachment um, predominantly. Very good explanation. That was really good. Um, so was the last one was disorganized. Have we discussed that one already? Is that one? No, I yeah, okay. that one is, yeah. That, yeah, that one's a bit more, that's a mixture of both. Um, some theorize that it can come, obviously it can come from a, you know, if you've had a, you've come from an abusive household, you know, mm-hmm. that that's kind of like where that, the both comes from. We don't really know, but I, like, I feel, and you just said it as well. Like, I think I resonate with both an anxious and an avoidant. If someone comes towards me, I sometimes tend to freak out a little bit because it's, um, that avoidancy that comes up or like, or what do you, what do you want? I don't know what you want. Like you want, you want to like, um, you want to love me. Oh, I don't know what that means. I'm scared by that. You know, that mm-hmm. doesn't feel safe to me. Yeah. Um, but then on the other side, if they, if they're inconsistent, if they move away, then mm-hmm. I go, Oh, what's going on? I need to, you know, I need to lean in. So it's a very much, it's kind of like a roller coaster essentially like going mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, but okay. it's definitely a mixture of both. And it can be quite a, you know, it, the the extremity that I will say is is as a child, if you had a very, you know, a parent who was very extreme with their emotions, mm-hmm. good or bad, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes it was super loving, but then they were super, you know, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. not good to you, that can cause a very disorganized way of bonding to people. And also trauma bonds. That's If you have this type of um, attachment, this is how you form trauma bonds, essentially. Mm-hmm. You learn to love people who are, you think that being loved by someone who is cruel to you is mm-hmm. a way of bonding. And to keep these kept safe. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, how can I explain this? So, you, we talked before that he, healing from, I guess, hurt from um, healing these wounds, healing these wounds from from such things in childhood, is is done by making connections, healthy connections. Yes. With yes. people. Um, and, and, and I guess as you, as you explained, like if you were to try and heal something that was like, oh, I don't feel in, in the back of your mind, your a thought process or unconscious thought is that you're not good enough. So you're going to try and to, you're going to say, put on a show to someone and they're going to make you feel good. So you're good enough. That's not healing a wound. Um, no, so that's perpetuating the wound. That's making yeah. it worse. It's just going to it again and again. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Because I clearly had issues with so my relationships due to due to things that had happened. Relationships in my life have always been probably the most unstable thing. I don't mean I don't necessarily mean male female. I could even be with friends. Just my just because the way that I I thought about myself and that kind of stuff. It's kind of 
not always a hundred. Well, in the past, hadn't always been a hundred percent stable till maybe the last five or so years. I started to get a grasp on who I am and why these things might have been happening. I'll give you a good, a good example of where I think healing um, for a wound began um, was when I went met when I <laughs> when I met my wife. Um, and so we started to go out uh, in 2012 and um, she was the first proper relationship that I'd had longer than five months and at this stage I was a 28 year old Um, and because I would avoid or I'd end relationships as a way of controlling them or not getting hurt and and even like I'd been broken up with and that kind of stuff before but anyway in this one when I when I, when I started having strong feelings for my wife and someone had, um, she wasn't my wife at the time, when we started going out, when I, when I could tell that similar things were happening with her, I freaked out. And, and I, like, I was getting so anxious and, and like, creating things in my head. Like, uh, my child, um, the, the little, you know, the child, um, me, in my head was freaking me out the child activates the child starts to throw it like goes crazy yeah and 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 i was becoming this anxious fearful person i was looking for this reason i was looking for that reason to to reasons why i you know how why i'm gonna get hurt or why this was gonna happen why that was gonna happen and i remember i think the, the the healing began when um and i actually i think i spoke about this in a video the other day so so I started writing a book about 10 years ago as well. And and when I got to a certain stage where I spoke in the book, where I started to speak about things that happened in my childhood and where I started to develop much more control was when this was happening, um, where I was freaking out and I realized something wasn't right. Um, and I was in my, when I was writing this chapter, I started to write this, when I um, started to write this chapter and I was, I was crying when I was writing this chapter, not crying as in like, like really, really sad, but it was, it was almost tears, tears of joy in some way because I started to picture myself as a man taking a walk behind the wall where the young boy was sitting. And I said to myself, come on, you're, you're with me now. That's where healing began. That's very powerful. Yes. That's where healing began for me. And I think like that freak out that I had in the relationship to start off with with someone that I could tell was having feelings for me or I was having strong feelings for someone. Like if, if for some reason I wasn't like aware of certain things, I could have just freaked out and just found a way to end it or done something dumb and then had it ended on me. But if I didn't put myself out there, like... Yeah, that I wouldn't have been able to heal that wound, and to be honest, like that heals that wound isn't necessarily hundred percent healed, but it, like I, that's where it that's started. Fine, yeah, yeah, but that, but the fact that you're so many people, this is the thing. When this happens, you know, we ha- we're given opportunities to heal these wounds. You know, if you want to heal something, yeah. get ready for life to sh- it's going to shove it in your face essentially. So yeah. when we meet these people that are there to help us. We either have a choice. We either choose to run or we yeah. choose to. Yeah. you know, go through the discomfort. It's uncomfortable. It is because, you know, I'm sure you know this as well. It's the mind operates on what is familiar. And, you know, if you want to heal something, you got to get pretty comfortable with discomfort. You have to really go into it and yeah. you can either run or you can heal it. And if you, you know, I recommend the latter because it's a lot better, you know, otherwise you just continually, you don't get what you want essentially. And you just, yeah. um, you just live in a cycle of just fear and you don't, you never experience love and what a tragedy that would be that you never experienced that because of yeah. fear. 
<laughs> yeah, know? that's that's the thing. I, I, I think that was a strong motivator for me. I, I don't like living out of fear. But I, but then for a long time, I didn't realise I was living out of fear. But then when I came aware of that, there was what could be possibly cause. I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm facing this one. I'm doing something with it. Like, yeah, no. Probably the best decision you ever made, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we, I wouldn't be where I am today if I, if I didn't. We, yeah. I wouldn't have a young girl. Or, 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 you know, I wouldn't be where I am. So, yeah, it was good. I had to face that fear. So um, you, you've given um, a bit of a, a hint to another thing I wanted to, you to talk about. So can you please give me your explanation on how that can relate to, say, men or women that are currently, say, experiencing new, say, dating um you know online dating apps or even just messaging text messages from people how can this relate to that kind of stuff well i've talked about this um previously but you know for me what the big thing is uh dopamine so we all know dopamine is that you know hormone that makes us feel great it's the it's intertwined in the reward system Mm -hmm. and you know especially in today's age in dating you know it's a lot of it you know is texting which can cause so much anxiety um the reason being is because, you know, our dopamine is attached to um, the gratification of what we're going to get when that person yeah. eventually responds to us. Mm-hmm. And this is why it becomes very addictive. And this is why we can get caught up in these push and pull cycles mm-hmm. is because how the reward system works is it operates on the bigger the delay, the bigger the uncertainty, the bigger the gratification. Mm-hmm. And that's like shit. Like, you know, it's like, especially if you have an anxious attachment, you hate uncertainty and you hate the unknown. Dopamine loves it. It loves it. It just, it thrives on it. So that's, so it's like the thing that's meant to make you feel good is also the thing that's making you feel like shit. Yeah. So when you're waiting for that text and you finally get it, even though, you know, if you're someone that's being just super not, not consistent with you, and I've have, I've fallen into these traps obviously because of my, the way I bond, um, you know, waiting for that person to reply hasn't replied in eight hours. You don't think about the eight hours they haven't responded, but the second they respond to you, you get that hit of like, oh yes, they responded. It's because they've given you that that dopamine has just been released. And then you're, you know, our bodies are very, we're very adaptable. You know, we change. It'll adapt to where it's going to get that hit of dopamine. Essentially, you know, mm-hmm. it'll learn to so learn like, oh, this is this felt really good. Like this is where we're going to get that big hit of dopamine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how then the anxious, that's how the styles then become, you know, it, we become addicted essentially to mm-hmm. bad behavior because we, we subconsciously, we do actually get a kick out of it. We, our bodies get a chemical out of it. You know, oftentimes, yeah. you know, we hear, Oh, I can't, so I'm just like pulled in by them. I'm addicted to them. What is it? But it's like, cause your body's addicted to them. It's addicted mm-hmm. to what, what their behavior is triggering. It's triggering your reward system. You know, you get that hit of dopamine within you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you become aware of this, you, go, you kind of go, Oh, oh my God, like, you just have no idea. This is, this is what is actually happening. You've trained your brain yeah. to release dopamine upon bad behavior, yeah. you know, and that's addictive. And it's, that's why it's hard to break out of it because it's not even like consciously you're like, I know this is bad, but mm-hmm. your body's like, no, 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 this is how I get my, my fix. I'm mm-hmm. getting, you're, you're literally, you're not looking for a connection. You're looking for a fix. Yeah. And then you get it like any kind of drug, any kind of addiction, you get your fix. Mm-hmm. It's going to die down and you're going to yeah. go try and get it again. Mm-hmm. You, you never break out of it. You never break out of that toxic cycle. Yeah, I think I think like that. It's such a like I'm I'm not on I'm not on uh, I've never been um, on um, say online um, dating stuff. It was all kind of starting as I as I started this relationship. But I'm, so I never really experienced it. But it's from what I can tell, it's you're very pretty... lucky. You're very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like 
it sounds like it sounds scary what people are doing to each other like far out um so yeah that's i think that's why it's so important like what you were saying it's so specific to kind of like today's kind of kind of current climate around that kind of stuff people might not realize why they're why they're enjoying that kind of delay or why they're still there um even though they know it's not right but they're still they're hanging in there they're hanging in there just for that fix just that you know that hit of that hormone that they're going to get um and also like with the online dating like um for me personally i think that you know it's that again it comes back to that fix that you're going to get because with online dating you can you see how many people are going to like like you like i did online dating for a little bit but then it's just personally it's just not for me i just because i'm very aware as to what's happening like within me so when i would see how many people were liking my photos or how many guys were like liking me Mm -hmm. i was just getting a hit of like dopamine just a hit of like my ego of just being indulged for a little while and i thought well this is not what i'm looking for i'm not looking for my ego to be indulged i'm looking Mm -hmm. for a connection and i didn't i didn't like that i didn't like what it was doing i'm like this isn't you know how it's meant to be Mm -hmm. personally like you know like i'm not um for me i'm just not a fan of it and i think it's kind of um hindering the dating culture at the moment to be honest i think people are afraid to approach people and just have a face-to-face conversation you know and people aren't really um also like um morals and values are kind of like going out the door you know how we communicate if if we don't want to continue seeing someone we have we, we term ghosting we just you know we just stop talking to somebody um so that's that's a pretty that's a, that i've heard that term quite a lot so explain that to me <laughs> ghosting yeah <laughs> yeah so it's yeah. essentially like when someone just goes off the grid essentially like you're talking to somebody you're dating somebody and they just literally just stop replying to you stop stop all communication and uh-huh. you just you're just left with like oh you know what happened uh-huh. like i don't it's just literally someone just falls off the face of the earth and this could happen you know, this could happen after you've been chatting to them for say how long even like right. however doesn't really matter it could be like you know a week it could even be i've heard people that have you know been dating for like six months and they just ghost them because they're not able to have a conversation yeah. of, of confrontation mm-hmm. okay you said because it used to be that people would, couldn't didn't, couldn't really handle the conversation uh confrontation in person now they ha- they're, they're, it sounds like they're struggling to have it the conf- confrontation on <laughs> online yeah. literally yeah <laughs> oh man Okay. Now, now, I guess it's not just online dating. It could even be happening with just a a partner, like just, you know, that you're actually seeing as well. Yes. Yes, for sure. It could happen there as well. And I think the biggest thing is nowadays people don't know how to communicate and they're very afraid of confrontation. And I think it's because they're afraid of what, you know, telling someone that you're not interested is going to stir up. Because if we're not able to deal with rejection ourselves, we project Mm -hmm. that by not telling somebody that, you know, we don't want to see them anymore because, you know, we, we subconsciously project what we, our own wounds onto somebody else when mm-hmm. we do those kind of behaviours. That's mm-hmm. what I believe at least. Yeah. Um, and I think people, when they're not, they don't have the tools to communicate, they just run yeah. because it's just easy. And that's probably what they learned to do in childhood as well. You know, mm-hmm. they just like, you know, because maybe their parents were, um, confrontation was, you know, was scary Maybe mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to say what they thought or, you know, they were shunned. And so yeah. that's how they learned. They let you just bolt, you yeah. know, you don't say anything because that's safe. You know, it's unsafe to say something. Yeah. Okay. So you spoke about it before as a way of how you put yourself out there now for what you want. So that can be a, what can that be good for? Just to get clear on what you want and reaffirming your own belief that you are deserving of what you want. I think 
I hear this a lot from my friends where they are, we hear that term, the conversation. Have you had the conversation? And I love having the conversation because why would you, why would you not want to find out if they want want the same thing as you, if they like you? A lot of times I hear people say, oh, I wonder if they like me. I wonder, I'm like, well, crazy. You don't actually have to wonder. You can actually ask them and you'll get an answer. Mm-hmm. And another thing often that people say is that I don't want to ask them. I don't want to have this conversation because I'm afraid of what they'll say. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like, they're afraid they'll say no, or they'll, you know, they're afraid they won't want the same thing. And they think that's not the answer I wanted, but yeah. it is the answer that you wanted. Cause if you don't want what they want, mm-hmm. then they can't be right for you. They yeah. can't be the one for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the, cause if you want a relationship, you want kids, you want long-term, whatever it may be. They mm-hmm. don't want that. You got yeah. the answer that you wanted. You know, you can't, you can never not get the answer that you want. Mm-hmm. You can only go against what you want to, you know, to fulfill your wound, to please your wound. But at some point, the way you heal is you reaffirm that what you want is important. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I want. This is what is important. And yeah. I won't compromise that for someone else's desires, you know, mm-hmm. or for, because of my insecurities, I won't compromise that. Yeah, I think um, what I like about these kind of discussions and people, uh, helping people being um, making people aware of this kind of stuff and, and how they possibly could have been affected about with, um, why they may have been treated or loved or the attention they were given or lack of, because um, it just informs the, the relationships they're in now. Like if, if for some reason they're in a relationship now just as an example that for some reason they might not be 100% happy with it, or they think that maybe they're not getting treated the way they should be or could be it's a great way for people to go hang on what's going on am i am i getting treated the way i deserve to be treated is am i just reflecting something that happened to me earlier on was it like um i'm going to more the extreme end like but Okay, so my um, as a female or even a male, that the, the, their partners might be violent or, or abusive with them, but there's a part of them that for some reason is accepting of it because that's what used to happen to them. Exactly. Yeah, it's familiar. It's what it's what you learned. Yeah. A relationship was. It's, it's what you learned. Love was. We learn what love is. If you yeah. learned that it was abusive, if you learned that it was inconsistent, if you yeah. learned that essentially, you know, it's that's you learn that's what love is, and that's and then you you. You just continue that. You mimic, that's the blueprint for what love is. Yeah. You know, and, and until you become aware of it, you just go through the motions subconsciously. You just I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, you know, people, my friends who I can see what, what's going on and I'll ask them what, why, you know, what do you think it is? And they just go, I just don't know. Because they're just so unaware. They just don't understand what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's real a big part of it, like you said, is becoming aware. Like it's I mean, I don't know if you heard this term, but just like waking up. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're in a deep slumber and you just go, you're um, John Bradshaw actually speaks about this as well. You go into a trance. You're, you're literally in a hypnotic state. You just go through the motions of what you know, what you think is familiar, um, what you what you've learned, and you don't you don't question it. Until you actually wake up and question it. Nothing changes, and you continually attract the same types of people that mimic those wounds that you want to you know try to heal. Yeah, um, and I think it also ties in with something else that I've spoken about. So I, in a in one of my podcast episodes, I spoke about self belief, and um, self belief, but also just how you think about yourself, like ha- how much you love yourself, how much you think you're worthy of things, and um, basically how much um, I guess your self efficacy, how much you can actually do, and that kind of stuff. So I think I'm pretty can. Um, there's probably more specific uh, terms for it, but 
Um, those kind of beliefs would also be developed in, in those early stages as well. And so um, uh, we've given examples of how uh, this kind of stuff could affect you in relationships, but I um, probably, as, as much as I noticed it in, in my relationship early on with my wife, I've also noticed it quite recently where I, I had to reevaluate and be um, do my best to become aware of why I'm thinking a certain way. Why, for some reason, do I... Um, do I think it's my fault uh, in when things happen? Why, for some reason, do maybe I, for a while did I think I wasn't good enough? Just in general, not just in a relationship, just in in general. Um, and then you know, like, was I wor- was I worthy worthy of the success in certain things that I wanted? Like, all all the thoughts around that kind of stuff are formed in there as well. And so this stuff doesn't just, just this kind of stuff doesn't just inform how what kind of relation I'm going to have with myself or other people, but it also can inform the kind of thought processes that I have around what I can achieve in life, and what I what what I'm what I'm deserving of, um, and yes. that, that's I just that's what I just find so so fascinating for people to um to become for people to be aware of because it's like if you have something that you um you want to do whatever it is. And for some reason, maybe you don't believe in yourself enough. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. But why are you thinking that? Why would someone be going, oh, I want this kind of thing, but no, nah, I won't try because I'm not good enough. But hang on, I'm like, please, if anyone is thinking that kind of stuff, please evaluate where your belief system was, what it was founded on. Was it founded on what you actually know and what you think? Or was it founded on something that somebody else told you or treated you, how they treated you like, this is, I think this could be life-changing for people when they, it is. you it, know? Yeah. That's why I just, I, I love it so much. <laughs> for sure. And I, I, like, our belief system is, it seeps into everything, every aspect of our lives. What, what you believe to be true of yourself, you see in your, in your reality. Yeah. Um, and, you know, belief is just a practice thought. We got really good at being not good enough. Mm-hmm. We got really good at it. That's yeah. all it is. It's just yeah. practice. Yeah. And essentially how we change it is we don't necessarily change it we create a new belief. We create the belief that I'm good enough, but we have to then do behaviours that are in alignment to that belief. And now I'm so glad you said that because I've said something very similar. So can you say that one more time for us? You have to do behaviours that are in alignment to the belief that you are good enough. Okay, so that that is... Very, very similar to what uh, an example that I've given, in, as I said, in the in a past episode called um, our self belief, because I, I gave an example of um, someone that wants to be confident needs to perform behaviours of a confident person. Uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, and so if you want self belief in some way, you need to perform some kind of action or behaviour of someone who believes in themselves, big or small. Start small if you need to, but you need to you need to start performing that as some kind of task or action, behavior, whatever it is, and then you can start growing on there. Um, exactly, and I always like to say as well when you start to practice, because it's just practice. That's all it is. It's just um, I think Dr. Nicole Lapera. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's the holistic psychologist. She states this that she says a belief is just it's just a practice thought. We just got really we just think about it all the time. It's not fact, but also um, you know feeling good enough doesn't feel good straight away. It actually feels really gross. It actually feels really uncomfortable because your brain's learned. It's just a program that it runs on when it, when it learns that not being enough is what, how it operates. It looks for evidence of that in our reality. It looks for everything. And Mm -hmm. so when you start to believe that you are good enough and you try and do like, that's why like saying no is so hard 
because it goes against the belief that you are not good enough. If you're not good enough, you just say yes all the time. You just people please. And that feels good. But when you want to say no to somebody, the reason why it feels so like, oh my God, terrible discomfort is because your brain's going danger, danger, danger. No, this isn't alignment to what we believe. We, we operate on the, on the belief that we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. This isn't right. And so you have to really practice. You have, your brain learns or your mind learns on experiential, experiential learning. I think I said that right. Um, it learns by experience. Yeah. It has to experience it to know that it's safe, to integrate into that belief. I like to say it's like a computer, you know? pick up the file and you go, I'm good enough. And you write something underneath it. And eventually your brain, your mind learns, this is what we operate now. This is the predominant program that we operate on. The other one just diminishes. It just eventually just fades away. It doesn't necessarily go away. It just fades. You just got to work at I'm enough being your predominant thought process and the predominant way in your mind will start to look for evidence of it. This is the thing. This is what like I love talking about like the biological side because it is, it is, it's actually, it's not just like we say, oh, just change your mind. It, it actually, your brain, you know, neuroplasticity, the circuits in our brain, it actually adapts. We, you know, we change the way we think our brain changes. There's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system, which mm-hmm. filters out information. Because if we absorb all the information we had, you know, within our day, our, we would just become so overwhelmed. It has to filter it out. The mm-hmm. way it filters it out is by knowing what's important. What is important is what you decide is what is important. If you think not being good enough is important, guess what? It only looks for evidence of that. And in turn, your mind only forms memories that are in relation to that. You remember everything that pertains to not being good enough. You rem- remember anything mm-hmm. that is to do with being good enough. It's very, very, like, it's just, it's, it's just, it's yeah. within our biology. Like, that's what I, I really try and reiterate to people. You know, it really is. So do you think in regards to that, because that, that brings up a really interesting fact. So do you think people that want to, for some reason, even unconsciously, continue that not feeling good enough, do you think they do that out of safety? Because if they unconsciously think that they're not good enough, they then they'll tell themselves they're not. Because it's like, oh, well, if I put myself out there and maybe I'm not good enough, well, maybe I'll get hurt. So I'll just continue on that cycle of not thinking I'm, good, thinking I'm not good enough. 100%. It's the survival mechanism. It's, it's what your brain, it's, a, it's the flight, fight or freeze response. Yeah. It's learned that not being good enough is safe. It doesn't, it doesn't understand what being good enough or not good enough means. It doesn't operate on that level. It only operates on what is safe. Mm-hmm. And what is safe is what has become familiar, what mm-hmm. has become certain, what has become predictable. I can predict not being good enough. I know how that looks. I know how to be. Yeah. It makes me feel safe. Yeah. But to be good enough, I have to actually do things that are really uncomfortable. And my brain goes, no, 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 that's not safe. This is dangerous because it learned from an, because of an experience, you know, the situation where maybe you said, no, you experienced severe anxiety. Yeah. The brain goes, no, I, it's, it's, you know, obviously not to the extreme of PTSD, but it's kind of along those lines, mm-hmm. your mind or your amygdala forms an emotional memory. It mm-hmm. remembers that. Yeah. You know, and anytime then you go to say no, your brain yeah. goes ding. Yeah. No, no, no. We don't do that. That's unsafe. Yeah. To be good enough is unsafe. Yeah. You know, and that that's crazy. You know, think about it. You think why the hell would I not want to feel good enough? It's because your brain doesn't think it's safe for you to be good enough. Yeah. So it. Prior to me losing um, most of my vision, I well, didn't mind putting myself physically on the line with people. So I used to fight kickboxing and used to love that, like physic physical pain isn't wasn't in that kind of way wasn't something i i I feared um but i guess yeah even in that time where i didn't mind the physical pain i was obviously unconsciously scared of getting hurt emotionally 
So when when I uh, went through a time where I you know, I lost vision and I had like I I couldn't work and all this kind of stuff. So all I had to do was time to, um, with my time was basically think and go through all this stuff. I think that's when something started to happen in where I started to realize um, I don't know maybe life is too short. I don't want to um, I don't want to live in a way anymore where I'm like being safe. I don't want to be safe. I want to be happy. That's what I want to be. So these are the kind of things. Um, that I started to think in some way and I had a lot of time to go through how I could do that and I think it was maybe after a little while of doing that that's when I started to be um, putting myself out there a bit more and that's yeah I guess maybe around the time that I met my wife and she came in at that time where I was to that thought was there that kind of you know I started to perform those actions of someone who was willing to put themselves out there and then that came in because I was yeah. I was ready yeah and that's amazing and that and that's the thing it's like a big part of that is what I would say is that you have to, you, you know, you taught yourself. We have to actually essentially teach our own minds and our body that it's safe. Mm. You know, we have to, we our conscious selves mm-hmm. have to teach it and you have to teach it that it's okay to be happy. Yeah. Cause maybe as a child, you know, I always say happiness preluded some kind of trauma. And so mm-hmm. when you start to feel happy, it's kind of a signal to your mind to go, Oh, this is what happened before we experienced the severe pain. You yep. can't do this. This is dangerous. So you have to actually teach it the other way around. You actually have to teach it. No, it's okay. This is valid. What happened? Yeah. I understand this, but the happiness is separate from the trauma. It doesn't mean that because you experience happiness, you're going to experience pain. It's yeah. not intertwined. It's yeah. unfortunate, but it's not a signal for danger. It doesn't have to be a signal for danger. Yeah. And, and, and it was, it was a great kind of moment. As I said, when I started to write that part in the book where I was talking about the man going behind the wall, grabbing the, the, the me as a child's hand. Cause I'm like, I became aware that my fear of emotional pain wasn't me as the man. It was me as, as the boy. Yes. So, like, and I'm like, hang on a second. Like, I'm not going to get hurt. There is, no, there is no emotional pain that someone could put me through that's, that, that, like, that, I have, that I need to fear. That I can handle that. I'm, I'm fearing this as I was as a child. And fair enough. But I have no reason to fear this as a man. Exactly. Yeah, but like you just said, because you become the man, you're, you're the parent now. Yeah. You know, you can parent yourself. You are the parent now. And it's, it's actually so powerful when you can um, go back to that child yeah. and just reassure, be like, it's okay. And that, that's what I do as well. When I start to get scared, I've separated that. I know that's my child inside of me being scared. And I go back and I say, it's okay. Like I've got you, you know, yeah. I've got your back. Yeah. You don't have to, you, you don't have to make this decision. I'll make this decision if yeah. it's safe or not. You know, it's that child being scared of like, I don't know what to do. It's like, you don't have to, you go. I like to say like, you go play, you do what you need to do. Because that's what you should be doing. You shouldn't be worrying about these kind of things. Yeah. You know, I will. I'll worry about it now. I'm here now. You know, yeah. I've the parents arrived. The one that you needed is here. You mm. can go. You're safe. And that's really powerful. The one that you needed was here. That's a very good way of putting it. It's really good. Yes. Well. Yes. It has been fantastic having you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so Ooh. much. Even if this wasn't re- even this wasn't recording, I would be getting something out of this. So it's just amazing. Absolutely. I've been hopefully, yeah. hopefully other oh no, not hopefully. I'm sure other people were getting something out of it as well. So it's been such I think it's been such an interesting chat. So thank you so much for coming on. So what what can you what can you plug? You're on social media, tell us about that. You've got your own podcast, tell us about that and, and anything else you want to talk about. Well, so you can find me at Tash Adamovic on Instagram. Um, so that's where I kind of post all of my coaching. If you're interested in working with me, um, also I have my podcast, The Committee AU, 
you can find us there. And we focus on men's mental health. We've got some great episodes on this. You can check us, we'll check me and my my friend Travis out on that side. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find us. And please connect. I love doing these kind of things and connecting because, um, yeah, I think it's so great. I think when you can come together and bring awareness to things and help people as well realize, I think it's so powerful. So I love con- like connecting and collaborating. It's just, it's great. So thank you so much for having me on and allowing me to, you know, to be on your platform. I really appreciate it. And, you know, you have such a wealth of knowledge and I've loved this chat and it's been great. And hopefully we can do it again as well. Yeah, so. definitely. Well, you've done, you've done brilliantly. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with me in some way or contact me or send me feedback, I'm on Instagram and Facebook under The Mind Tradie. I'm on Spotify. You can follow me there. I'm on Apple. You can subscribe there and give me a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. That would be absolutely fantastic. I look forward to chatting with you next time. (laughs) 